Chapter One of Freckles. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Anderson. Freckles by Jean Stratton Porter. Chapter One Wherein Great Risks Are Taken and the Limberlost Guard Is Hired. Characters Freckles, a plucky waif who guards the Limberlost timber leases and dreams of angels. The Swamp Angel, in whom Freckles' sweetest dream materializes. McLean, a member of a Grand Rapids lumber company who befriends Freckles. Mrs. Duncan, who gives mother love and a home to Freckles. Duncan, Head Teamster of McLean's Timber Gang. The Bird Woman, who is collecting camera studies of birds for a book. Lord and Lady O'More, who come from Ireland in quest of a lost relative. The Man of Affairs, brusque of manner but big of heart. Wessner, a Dutch timber thief who wants rascality made easy. Black Jack, a villain to whom thought of repentance comes too late. Sears, Camp Cook. Freckles came down the corduroy that crosses the lower end of the Limberlost. At a glance, he might have been mistaken for a tramp, but he was truly seeking work. He was intensely eager to belong somewhere and to be attached to almost any enterprise that would furnish him food and clothing. Long before he came in sight of the camp of the Grand Rapids Lumber Company, he could hear the cheery voices of the men, the neighing of the horses, and could scent the tempting odors of cooking food. A feeling of homeless friendlessness swept over him in a sickening wave. Without stopping to think, he turned into the newly made road and followed it to the camp, where the gang was making ready for supper and bed. The scene was intensely attractive. The thickness of the swamp made a dark, massive background below, while above towered gigantic trees. The men were calling jovially back and forth as they unharnessed tired horses, that fell into attitudes of rest and crunched, in deep content, the grain given them. Duncan, the brawny Scotch head teamster, lovingly wiped the flanks of his big bays with handfuls of pawpaw leaves as he softly whistled, O oh, wa will be my dearie O, oh, and a cricket beneath the leaves at his feet accompanied him. The green wood fire hissed and crackled merrily. Wreathing tongues of the flame wrapped around the big black kettles, and when the cook lifted the lids to plunge in his testing fork, gusts of savory odors escaped. Freckles approached him. I want to speak with the boss, he said. The cook glanced at him and answered carelessly, He can't use you. The color flooded Freckles' face, but he said simply, if you will be having the goodness to point him out, we will give him a chance to do his own talking. 
With a shrug of astonishment, the cook led the way to a rough board table, where a broad, square-shouldered man was bending over some account books. "'Mr. McLean, here's another man wanting to be taken on the gang, I suppose,' he said. "'All right,' came the cheery answer. "'I never needed a good man more than I do just now.' The manager turned a page and carefully began a new line. "'No use of your bothering with this fellow,' volunteered the cook. "'He hasn't but one hand.' The flush on Freckles' face burned deeper, his lips thinned to a mere line. He lifted his shoulders, took a step forward, and thrust out his right arm, from which the sleeve dangled empty at the wrist. "'That will do, Sears,' came the voice of the boss sharply. "'I will interview my man when I finish this report.' He turned to his work, while the cook hurried to the fires. Freckles stood one instant, as he had braced himself to meet the eyes of the manager. Then his arm dropped, and a wave of whiteness swept him. The boss had not even turned his head. He had used the possessive. When he said, My man, the hungry heart of Freckles went reaching toward him. The boy drew a quivering breath. Then he whipped off his old hat and beat the dust from it carefully. With his left hand he caught the right sleeve, wiped his sweaty face, and tried to straighten his hair with his fingers. He broke a spray of ironwort beside him and used the purple bloom to beat the dust from his shoulders and limbs. The boss, busy over his report, was nevertheless vaguely alive to the toilette being made behind him, and scored one for the man. McLean was a Scotchman. It was his habit to work slowly and methodically. The men of his camps never had known him to be in a hurry or to lose his temper. Discipline was inflexible. But the boss was always kind. His habits were simple. He shared camp life with his gangs. The only visible signs of wealth consisted of a big, shimmering diamond stone of ice and fire that glittered and burned on one of his fingers, and the dainty beautiful thoroughbred mare he rode between camps and across the country on business. No man of McLean's gangs could honestly say that he had ever been overdriven or underpaid. The boss had never extracted any deference from his men, yet so intense was his personality that no man of them ever had attempted a familiarity. They all knew him to be a thorough gentleman, and that in the great timber city several millions stood to his credit. He was the only son of that McLean who had sent out the finest ships ever built in Scotland. That his son should carry on this business after the father's death had been his ambition. He had sent the boy through the universities of Oxford and Edinburgh, and allowed him several years' travel before he should attempt his first commission for the firm. Then he was ordered to southern Canada and Michigan to purchase a consignment of tall, straight timber for masts, and south to Indiana for oak beams. The young man entered these mighty forests, parts of which lay untouched since the dawn of the morning of time. The clear, cool, pungent atmosphere was intoxicating. The intense silence, like that of a great empty cathedral, fascinated him, 
he gradually learned that to the shy wood creatures that darted across his path or peeped inquiringly from leafy ambush, he was brother. He found himself approaching with a feeling of reverence those majestic trees that had stood through ages of sun, wind, and snow. Soon it became difficult to fell them. When he had filled his order and returned home, he was amazed to learn that in the swamps and forests he had lost his heart, and it was calling, forever calling him. When he inherited his father's property, he promptly disposed of it, and, with his mother, founded a home in a splendid residence in the outskirts of Grand Rapids. With three partners, he organized a lumber company. His work was to purchase, fell, and ship the timber to mills. Marshall managed the milling process and passed the lumber to the factory. From the lumber, Barthol made beautiful and useful furniture, which Updegrove scattered all over the world from a big wholesale house. Of the thousands who saw their faces reflected on the polished surfaces of that furniture and found comfort in its use, few there were to whom it suggested mighty forests and trackless swamps, and the man, big of soul and body, who cut his way through them, and with the eye of experience doomed the proud trees that were now entering the homes of civilization for service. When McLean turned from his finished report, he faced a young man, yet under twenty, tall, spare, heavily framed, closely freckled and red-haired, with a homely Irish face, but in the steady gray eyes, straightly meeting his searching ones of blue, there was unswerving candor and the appearance of longing not to be ignored. He was dressed in the roughest of farm clothing and seemed tired to the point of falling. "'You are looking for work?' questioned McLean. "'Yes,' answered Freckles. "'I am very sorry,' said the boss, with genuine sympathy in his every tone. "'But there is only one man I want at present, "'a hearty big fellow with a stout heart and a strong body. "'I hope that you would do, "'but I am afraid you are too young and scarcely strong enough.' "'Freckles stood hat in hand, watching McLean. "'And what was it you thought I might be doing?' he asked. The boss could scarcely repress a start. Somewhere before accident and poverty there had been an ancestor who used cultivated English, even with an accent. The boy spoke in mellow Irish voice, sweet and pure. It was scarcely definite enough to be called brogue, yet there was a trick in the turning of the sentence, the wrong sound of a letter here and there, that was almost irresistible to McLean and presaged a misuse of infinitives and possessives with which he was very familiar and which touched him nearly. He was of foreign birth, and despite years of alienation, in times of strong feeling he committed inherited sins of accent and construction. It's no child's job, answered McLean. I am the field manager of a big lumber company. We have just leased two thousand acres of the Limberlost. Many of these trees are of great value. We can't leave our camp six miles south for almost a year yet, so we have blazed a trail and strung barbed wires securely around this lease. Before we return to our work, 
I must put this property in the hands of a reliable, brave, strong man who will guard it every hour of the day and sleep with one eye open at night. I shall require the entire length of the trail to be walked at least twice each day and to make sure that our lines are up and that no one has been trespassing. Freckles was leaning forward, absorbing every word with such intense eagerness that he was beguiling the boss into explanations he had never intended making. "'But why wouldn't that be the finest job in the world, for me?' he pleaded. "'I am never sick. I could walk the trail twice, three times, every day, and I'd be watching sharp all the while.' "'It's because you are scarcely more than a boy,' "'And this will be a trying job for a work-hardened man,' answered McLean. "'You see, in the first place, you would be afraid. "'In stretching our lines we killed six rattlesnakes "'almost as long as your body and as thick as your arm. "'It's the price of your life to start through the marsh grass surrounding the swamp "'unless you are covered with heavy leather above your knees. "'You should be able to swim in case high water undermines the temporary bridge we have built,' where Sleepy Snake Creek enters a swamp. The fall and winter changes of weather are abrupt and severe, while well, I would want strict watch kept every day. You would always be alone, and I don't guarantee what is in the Limberlost. It is lying here as it has lain since the beginning of time, and it is alive with forms and voices. I don't pretend to say what all of them come from, but from a few slinking shapes I've seen, and hair-raising yells I've heard, I'd rather not confront their owners myself, and I am neither weak nor fearful. Worst of all, any man who will enter the swamp to mark and steal timber is desperate. One of my employees in the South Camp, John Carter, compelled me to discharge him for a number of serious reasons. He came here, entered the swamp alone, and succeeded in locating and marking a number of valuable trees that he was endeavoring to sell to a rival company when we secured the lease. He has sworn to have these trees if he has to die or kill others to get them, and he is a man that the strongest would not care to meet. But if he came to steal trees, wouldn't he bring teams and men enough that all anyone could do would be to watch and be after you, queried the boy? Yes, replied McLean. Then why couldn't I be watching just as closely and coming as fast as an older, stronger man, asked Freckles. Why, by George, you could, exclaimed McLean. I don't know as the size of a man would be half so important as his grit and faithfulness, come to think of it. Sit on that log there and we will talk it over. What is your name? Freckles shook his head at the proffer of a seat, and folding his arms stood straight as the trees around him. He grew a shade whiter, but his eyes never faltered. Freckles, he said. Good enough for every day, laughed McLean, but I scarcely can put freckles on the company's books. Tell me your name. I haven't any name, replied the boy. I don't understand, said McLean. I was thinking from the voice and the face of you, that you wouldn't, said Freckles slowly. I've spent more time on it than I ever did on anything else in all me life, and I don't understand. 
Does it seem to you that anyone would take a newborn baby and row over it until it was bruised black, cut off its hand, and leave it out in bitter night on the steps of a charity home to the care of strangers? That's what somebody did to me. McLean stared aghast. He had no reply ready, and presently, in a low voice, he suggested, And after? The home people took me in, and I was there the full legal age, and several years over. For the most part, we were a lot of little Irishmen, together. They could always find homes for the other children, but nobody would ever be wanting me, on account of me arm. Were they kind to you? McLean regretted the question the minute it was asked. I don't know, answered Freckles. The reply sounded so hopeless, even to his own ears, that he hastened to qualify it by adding, You see, it's like this, sir. Kindnesses that people are paid to lay off in job lots, and that belong equally to several hundred others, ain't going to be soaking into any one fellow so much. Go on, said McLean, nodding comprehendingly. There's nothing worth the taking of your time to tell, replied Freckles. The home was in Chicago, and I was there all me life until three months ago, when I was too old for the training they gave to the little children. They sent me to the closest ward school as long as the law would let them. But I was never like any of the other children, and they all knew it. I'd go and come like a prisoner and be working around the home early and late for me board and clothes. I always wanted to learn mighty bad, but was glad when that was over. Every few days, all me life, I'd be called up, looked over, and refused a home and love on account of me hand and ugly face. But it was all the home I'd ever known, and I didn't seem to belong to any place else. Then a new superintendent was put in. He wasn't for being like any of the others, and he swore he'd weed me out the first thing he did. He made a plan to send me down the state to a man he said he knew who needed a boy. He wasn't for remembering to tell that man that I was a hand short, and he knocked me down the minute he found out I was the boy who had been sent him. Between noon and that evening, he and his son, close my age, had me in pretty much the same shape in which I was found in the beginning. So I lay awake that night and ran away. I'd like to have squared me account with that boy before I left, but I didn't dare for fear of waking the old man, and I knew I couldn't handle the two of them. But I'm hoping to meet him alone some day before I die. McLean tugged at his mustache to hide the smile on his lips, but he liked the boy all the better for this confession. I didn't even have to steal clothes to get rid of starting in me home ones, Freckles continued, for they had already taken all me clean, neat things for the boy and put me into his rags, and that went almost as sore as the beatens. For where I was, we were always kept tidy and sweet-smelling, anyway. I hustled clear into this state before I learned that man couldn't have kept me if he'd wanted to. When I thought I was good and away from him, I commenced hunting work. But it is with everybody else just as it is with you, sir. Big, strong, whole men are the only ones for being wanted." I have been studying over this matter, answered McLean. I am not so sure, 
but that a man no older than you and similar in every way could do this work very well if he were not a coward and had it in him to be trustworthy and industrious freckles came forward a step if you will give me a job where i can earn me food clothes and a place to sleep he said if i can have a boss to work for like other men and a place i feel i've a right to i will do precisely what you tell me or die trying he spoke so convincingly that mclean believed although in his heart he knew that to employ a stranger would be wretched business for a man with the interests he had involved very well the boss found himself answering i will enter you on my payroll we'll have supper and then i will provide you with clean clothing wading boots the wire mending apparatus and a revolver the first thing in the morning i will take you the length of the trail myself and explain fully what i want done all i ask of you is to come to me at once at the south camp and tell me as a man if you find this job too hard for you it will not surprise me it is work that few men would perform faithfully what name shall i put down freckles gaze never left mclean's face and the boss saw the swift spasm of pain that swept his lonely sensitive features i haven't any name he said stubbornly no more than one somebody clapped on to me when they put me on the home books with not the thought or care they'd name a house cat i've seen how they enter those poor little abandoned devils often enough to know what they called me is no more my name than it is yours i don't know what mine is and i never will but i am going to be your man and do your work and i'll be glad to answer to any name you choose to call me won't you please be giving me a name mr mclean the boss wheeled abruptly and began stacking his books what he was thinking was probably what any other gentleman would have thought in the circumstances with his eyes still downcast and in a voice harsh with huskiness he spoke i will tell you what we will do my lad he said my father was my ideal man and i loved him better than any other i have ever known he went out five years ago but that he would have been proud to leave you his name i firmly believe if i give to you the name of my nearest kin and the man i loved best will that do freckles rigid attitude relaxed suddenly his head dropped and big tears splashed on the soiled calico shirt mclean was not surprised at the silence for he found that talking came none too easily just then all right he said i will write it on the roll james ross mclean thank you mightily said freckles that makes me feel almost as if i belonged already you do said mclean until someone armed with every right comes to claim you you are mine now come and take a bath have some supper and go to bed as freckles followed into the lights and sounds of the camp his heart and soul were singing for joy end of chapter one